Welcome to the Beach Grove United Methodist Church Podcast, where you can hear our Sunday morning sermons in audio form and take them wherever you go. A reminder that if you want to watch the entire service, our services are available on our YouTube channel linked in the podcast notes. We would love it if you would subscribe to the podcast so that new sermons come into your feed as soon as they are available, and you can do this using your favorite podcasting app. We would love it if you would help to support the missions and ministries here at Beach Grove through your tithes and your offerings. A donation link is also linked in the notes below. And lastly, find us on Facebook and Instagram to follow along with all the fun things happening at Beach Grove, whether you live in Suffolk, Virginia or not. We hope you enjoyed this week's message, and please don't forget to share it with others. of each one of our hearts be holy and pleasing to you in the spirit of this word today as we continue to look at these characteristics we are called to it that we are called to show to others that we would grow in your love grow in that title of Christ of Christ follower grow as we go along the way of faith it's in your son's name we pray amen So we're in the midst of this series called The Five Marks of a Methodist. And as I mentioned last week uh, and was very clear to delineate, these are not doctrinal beliefs for us. These stem from doctrinal beliefs that we have. They stem from the doctrinal beliefs of believing in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, believing that Jesus Christ is Lord. All of those things found in creeds of the church or in our doctrinal nature as United Methodists. No, these are characteristics that live forth from our doctrinal beliefs. And so if we are going to name and claim that we believe in Jesus Christ, then what does that mean for how we live our life? And so what we have in these five marks are practical applications of our life and faith that we are called to live by. And so Wesley wanted to convey that if someone was walking around the street somewhere in England or in the early Americas, and someone knew that they were a Methodist, that they would exude these five marks, these five characteristics. And I think reconnecting to these characteristics helps us to also reconnect to our nature, not just as Methodists, as I said, but as Christians. Because at the base of all of this, is Wesley wanting to teach the people who were called Methodists what it meant to be Christian, what it meant to follow the ways of God, what it meant to live in in communion with the Holy Spirit and with all who came before us. And so last week we began exploring and we looked at that first mark. Does anybody remember what that first mark is? A Methodist. A Methodist loves God. And so As we looked at last week, it may seem like a pretty simplistic thing to say a Methodist loves God. Again, duh, right? You know, we're we're Christians after all. That is the doctrinal belief that all of our faith is built upon. And yet, as we looked last week, sometimes we may conceive of love in a manner that is different than the love that God has for us. And so we love God with everything we are and everything we have. That sense of agape love. We don't love God like a parent. We don't love God like a sibling. We don't love God like our spouse or our partner. We love God with everything that we are. We love God in a selfless manner, expecting nothing in return, and yet receiving everything. 
And so as we move on, we continue to examine this embodied relationship with our creator. We dive into this second mark. And we look at this second mark and we hear John Wesley as he moves on in the character of a Methodist. That's the writing that these five marks are pulled from. We hear Wesley express that a Methodist is therefore happy in God. Yea, always happy as having in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life and overflowing his soul with joy and peace. And he continues a little bit later in this paragraph that he's in. A Methodist cannot but rejoice whenever he looks on the state wherein he is now, being justified freely and having peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the second mark of a Methodist, the second character of a Methodist that we look at is that a Methodist rejoices in God. Again, you may be thinking to yourself, well, duh, pastor, right? These, I mean, they seem simple, don't they? they? But again, oftentimes I think that we take for advantage what these marks actually mean, right? It seems simple at the onset. We can rejoice because we know that God has done good things for us. But remember, our life is not always perfect. I mean, I sit here today, sit here on a stool because I hurt myself. All right, we may scoff at the idea of fair-weather Christians, right, believing in God when it seems beneficial for us, believing in God when our life is going well, giving thanks and celebration to God when everything seems all hunky-dory in our lives. But this fair-weather ideology is often attached to a theological upbringing that spreads this toxicity that leaves us unable and even unwilling to deal with our faith in a true and deep manner when our life just sucks. And yet, we are called to rejoice in God. Yes, we are. This is what makes this mark difficult. Why? Why? Because joy is difficult because sometimes we don't feel joyful. Sometimes we don't feel happy. Amen? Amen. Sometimes life sucks. Amen? Amen? I would hazard to guess that many of us here are probably had some bad times this week, this morning. <laughs> but when we talk about joy, do we really, truly, deeply understand the context that we're actually speaking in? When we think about happiness, are we thinking about this, this external human emotion that we show to other people? Are we trying to just be in a good mood, being satisfied with life? And the truth is that, for the mo- that at most times, this is not how we actually feel. You know, as I was at conference this last week, when we, when we check in with one another, because um, this is like our one big time of year that all the pastors in the conference get together. Of course, there's laity there too, and, and we have fun with them as well. But it's like the one time of year that we all get to hang out together. And so the, the big question is like, how are you doing? You know, I've been to annual conference in the past where I've said, oh, things are going well, but hey, they, they actually won't, so don't, don't tell the bishop that. But I was sitting down at lunch with some friends, and, and um, one of my colleagues that, or um, the husband of one of my colleagues that I love very much, um, asked me how I was doing, knowing some of the stuff that I've been through in some previous appointments, knowing how difficult life has, life has been with COVID, and I reflected that, you know what, right now I am good. I told him, I said, you know, church is going well. 
Life is going well. This is before I hurt myself, but still, it's going well. And I reflected and I said, I think it's because I was able to keep an attachment to not just my faith, but my calling, even in the troubling times. What if I told you that we, that joy could mean we do sometimes get sad, frustrated, upset, that sometimes we're not always in the best spirits, sometimes externally we are not happy, and that it will then make the happy moments, the joyful, the truly joyful moments that much better. Steve Harper, the writer of the book that I'm using to to, uh, aid in this series, asks the question, what role does joy play in following Christ? And he uh, answers it in a rhetorical manner. He says, simply this, discipleship is a whole life response to grace. We make a mistake when we define spiritual life only in terms of its religious dimensions. Continuing on, that joy is the word used by Christians in every age to describe the comprehensive response we make out of our whole being to God's love. I want you to think about that for a second. A comprehensive response we make out of our whole being to God's love. Happiness and joy are not external motivations for good things that happen in our life, but instead are connected to our faith, connected to our belief in God. That when we truly and deeply believe in God, that even though things may be going on that may make us upset or sad or angry around us, we can still rest and reside in the fact that God loves us. It does not mitigate the pain that we have. It does not diminish it. Yet it gives us, again, as I have mentioned before, a central source of comfort as we go through these times. Right? We so badly want to define joy only as an external human emotion. We want to completely detach it from our religious feelings. But here you go. To name joy as a mark of a Methodist says that we cannot do this because to label it solely as a human emotion says that it is not what it truly is. And it even moves that nature of joy away from God's presence in our lives and into what is externally happening, thereby only being able to define the good times in our lives as the blessings from God, instead of reflecting even as we move beyond the bad times to note how we found God's joy through them. Right? Even John Wesley said that joy is more than a superficial human emotion. It go, and goes on to define joy and how we experience it using happiness, in a way that we may feel unfamiliar with. And as we look at this idea of, ha- of happiness, noting that John Wesley says that we should therefore be happy in God. And so we come to this idea not as happiness or joy as a human emotion, but hearkening back to a Greek concept of happiness. A happiness that we find right here in our scripture today. Right here as Jesus begins his sermon on the mount. And we begin to see the way that Jesus explains, understands, and conveys happiness to the crowd that has gathered. Harper puts it this way, saying, The bond of being loved by God and loving God in return produces a quality of life that cannot be found outside of our relationship with God. And so if we love God, we will be more joyful. Not because our life is necessarily great or going to be great, 
but because we believe in a God who loves us and rest in the assurance that that love offers to us. We rest in the eternalness of salvation. We rest in the assurance of the resurrection. And we rest in the assurance of the community that gathers around us in the name of God, lifting us up, supporting us, and comforting us in all ways, shapes, and forms. And this is why when we see Jesus speaking in the Beatitudes, we see that when Jesus says blessed are, we can attach these things that we may not necessarily see happiness within. Answer this question, when was the last time you felt poor in spirit and felt happy? When was the last time that you felt uncomforted and mourned? I mean, when was the last time you mourned and felt joyful? When was the last time you felt meek and felt joyful? Hungry and thirsty for righteousness and felt joyful? When was the last time any of these things Christ listed? And when was the last time we experienced that and were joyful? I love the way that the Common English Version, Common English Bible puts it. They translate it saying, happy are people who are hopeless. Happy are people who grieve. Happy are those whose lives are harassed because of their righteousness. Again, these people do not sound happy at all. And yet they are not happy because of what is happening in their external lives. They are happy that because despite their hopelessness, despite their grief, despite their hunger and thirst for righteousness, despite the persecution that surrounds us, their God is there comforting them, offering them strength and hope for healing. That is the happiness that Jesus is calling us to embody in the scripture. That is the nature that in these teachings, Jesus is calling us, learning that happiness and blessedness is not found in the people who get everything they want. Happiness is not in those who feel the most important or even those who continually seek satisfaction. Happiness and joy are found in God and in our relationship with God. All of these people that Jesus is talking about in this list, they don't seem happy, but Jesus says they are because maybe we have happiness, maybe we have joy, all wrong. In the Beatitudes, the word happiness, the word happiness, the word blessed, it conveys not a human emotion, but a state of being. A state of being that rests and resides deeply within each and every one of us, and especially, and especially for Christians, a state of being that rests and is comforted from our presence and relationship with the God who created us. And so we sit here and ponder for ourselves that John Wesley says, a Methodist is therefore happy in God. And I think to myself, well, sometimes I'm just a little pissed off at God. Right? We've, many of us have had that emotion. I think it's safe here to admit that. We're in a safe space. And yet, are we pissed at God? Or just unable to find the blessing that God offers to us, even in the difficult times? Even in the times that are tough? Rather than an emotion, an outward emotion, maybe we consider it a state of being. 
in which our love of God is reflected no matter our external feelings or emotions. We can get sad, we can get angry, we can get anxious, we can do all of these things and express them in human emotions and feelings, and yet we can still be joyful because we know that in our sadness, in our anger, in our anxiety, in all of these things that often depress us, that make us feel terrible, we still know that God is there with us. That God is deep down in that pit of despair, comforting us, helping to lift us up. God does not lift us up from the top of the pit trying to pull us up. God gets down in there with us and lifts us up. So how do we experience joy with God? Well, it's right there in verse 12. I want you to underline it. Circle it. Let it be your verse of the week. Be full of joy and be glad. Easier said than done there, Matthew. No, be full of joy and be glad because you have a great reward in heaven. And in the same way, the people harassed the prophets who came before you. What a great comfort. That we are not the first ones to go on this journey with the harsh reality that sometimes the world is broken. Sometimes the worst of the world gets thrown at us. And yet, there's joy and gladness in resting in God's presence and love. When we reflect on the love we have for God, how can we not be joyful knowing that there is so much God, so much love that God has for us? There will be sadness. There will be heartache. And the healing that occurs from that, the hope that comes from that, the strength that is born from that is not... In getting angry at God, but is instead turning to God, turning to God's community, turning to God's people, turning to God's love and support. Yes, we look to God to be there for us, to comfort us, but we don't look to God to just solve our problems. We look to God to help us to come up with solutions. To work together in ministry, to find God's plan, calling, and vision as we move along in our lives, and to begin to peel back the layers of the onion of pain, to bring forth the middle part of that onion that is the hope, glory, and peace that God has. When we expect miracles, they're no longer miracles, they're just everyday events. Miracles that happen often are common occurrences. Yes, we can pray for miracles, but yet residing in God's love knows that no matter what comes before us, rejoicing in who God is and the love that God has for us pulls us forward in community together. I am joyful because God is there when I'm sad. I'm joyful when God, because God is there when I've had a rough day. I'm joyful when people hate me. Believe me, they do. Fun fact. I'm joyful for God's love that gives me strength in the midst of all of these difficult situations that are presented before us. And so I ask each and every one of us, how is it that we experience joy with, in, and through God? Where are you pulling your joy from? So that even in the midst of your darkest days, Our comfort, our faith, 
and our peace resides in God. Amen.